Hey, so good to see each and every one of you here today. I believe I got a, a word from heaven for you, so I'm glad you took some time to be here. Um, would you open your Bible or phone or just look to the screen for Daniel chapter 4? Today's Baptism Sunday. Who's getting baptized today? Come on. Congratulations. If somewhere in this service you're like, I want to get baptized, we got some clothes for you. You should definitely get baptized. Daniel chapter 4, verse number 28. We're in a new series called Group Therapy. I'm not a therapist, not a licensed counselor, don't know much about neuroscience, but I've been through some hell and I read the Bible. Okay, so it's going to be really good. Daniel chapter 4, verse number 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking out of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. Verse number 34, And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Today, I want to talk to you from this subject, worry-free work life. Worry-free work life. Akuna Matata means no worries for the rest of our days. Father, we thank you today for your Holy Spirit. I ask that uh, you just minister your word and give us revelation, insight, and understanding to what you would say to us today. We thank you, God, for this divine moment. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You can be seated today. Worry-free work life. And one of the reasons I want to discuss this is a lot of us, um, most of our worry is around relationships. Most of our worry is around the area of our work life. King Nebuchadnezzar, if we had a lot more time, I'd go through the study of the book of Daniel with you, but you'll have to do some of that on your own because I can't possibly pull that off in 30 minutes. But ne King Nebuchadnezzar um, was the second king of Babylon, and he was called Nebuchadnezzar the Great. He measured his life by a few things uh, that we see in this passage of Scripture. He goes to the rooftop and he sees his external accomplishments and he begins to measure his life by his external accomplishments. And as he's looking on what he's built and how well it's built, he measures his life and says, I've built this by my own power. He goes on to admire his great work, and as he admires it, he says he'd done it unto his own glory. He measured his life by external accomplishments, by his personal power, 
and by his personal glory. He built his life for himself, by himself, and in himself. This is not a prescription to mental health, but it is a perspective of mental health based off Nebuchadnezzar. In his particular situation, he begins to lose his mind, not because he's not doing well in life, but he begins to lose his mind because he has self-inflicted pressure and success that begins to make him undone internally. And I have a question for us. I know there are some circumstances that are beyond our control and things that happen to us. But how much of the anxiety that you are experiencing is self-inflicted? And how much of the depression and how much of the worries and cares of life is it that you are experiencing because you are causing a self-inflicted wound? I want to tell us today just six thoughts of how to live in a worry-free work. Number one in your outline, don't allow your work to dominate you. Don't allow your work to dominate you. Daniel chapter 4, verse 33, that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. The more he built his life on himself and for himself and by himself, the less human he becomes. He becomes like the ox eating the grass. He's driven away from his own humanity. There's a difference between animals and humans. And there's similarities between animals and humans. Animals have instinct and drive and survival and prey and kill and run and flee. And humans have this thing called reasoning and logic and understanding. And so as he builds his life on himself, by himself, and for himself, he becomes less human and more animalistic in his nature. Let me talk to you for a second in a way that we might understand this better. There's a difference between when a man says, hello, you look lovely today. And another man says, hello, you look lovely today. And the woman might say this, she might say, what a very nice compliment. But she might also say, what a creep and pervert. And there's a difference. One, they can sense if you're driven by nature, instinct, and drive. But your nature and instinct and drive should never exceed your reasonable respect for humans. Because the moment you quit respecting humans, you become animalistic in nature. And that's why the women sometimes call you a dog because you just chase everywhere and your tongue's hanging out. My dog doesn't have sexual orientation. It has sexual availability. And sometimes humans become more animalistic than humans because they forget that humanity is about respecting humanity. When people shoot one another, that's not human. That's animalistic. And this man that built his life on himself, by himself, and for himself became less than human and was driven into the nature of an animal. The Bible says, what is man that you're mindful of him? 
the Son of Man, that you visit him. For you've made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor, and you made him to have dominion over the works of his hands. You gave him dominion over the oxen. You gave him authority over the oxen, but when he doesn't operate in his dominion, he becomes dominated by his work. When he doesn't operate in the dominion as a son and daughter, then all of a sudden you become dominated by your work. You're called to rule over the oxen, not eat with the oxen. And some of us start eating with things we're supposed to be leading in life, and we become uh, so grounded, and we start, we start hanging out with things that God actually called us to have dominion over. This is the way oxen eat. They eat grass, and they ruminate. Ruminate means they chew the grass. They swallow it into their second stomach. They spit it back up and put it in the side of their mouth. And they chew some more. And they hold it there and they swallow it. And they spit it back up and they chew it some more. And they chew it some more and they swallow it and they spit it back up. And when you become dominated by your work, your boss says something crazy. You swallow it until you get home. And then you spit it up on your wife, on your kids, on your partner. You spit it up all of a sudden. And you cuss them out. And then you say, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I'm going to be the bigger person right now. And I'm going to swallow it again. And then you swallow it. And then you go to go to bed. And then all of a sudden as you're laying down, you begin to spit it back up. And you start thinking, they don't pay me enough. They don't treat me right. They don't know who I am. They don't know what I'm worth. They don't know. And you start thinking about all the things that happen because you're ruminating, becoming like an ox, letting your work dominate your mind rather than operating in the dominion and authority that God's given you. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 33, 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than one who takes the city. When we learn to rule our spirit, it means we have spiritual authority, not just in church services, but wherever we work and wherever we go in life. And we win battles in the spirit before we win them in the flesh. So we learn, you know what? God has given you dominion over the place you work. God has given you dominion and authority to operate as sons and daughters of God. Number two, you're called to work from identity, not for identity. He says in Daniel 4.33, that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. Most of us, a lot of us, a lot of times think that work is the means and not the means to the end. A lot of people say, I want to work my whole life to do what I love rather than do an assignment because you're fully loved and whatever you do is blessed because you operate in the authority of the believer. And so most people are looking for this ideal job, but they start to, they start to put on their job as an identity rather than an assignment. And this is why some people were born men and women but died doctors and lawyers. Some people were born men and women, but then some people, they die police officers. They die as an identity in their work because they start to embrace what they do as the identity they have. And whatever 
you embrace as an identity is what you will be enslaved to. And if your work is your identity, eventually you will resent the work you do. Because if you need something, you'll eventually resent it. Because you can only appreciate what you don't need. If you need it, you'll eventually resent it. And so all of a sudden, we take on this identity as a, a work life, and then when we're working, we think it is who we are, and that's why I don't say my name's Pastor TJ. I say I'm TJ, and I happen to be a pastor here because I don't want to give up my title, Son of God, for something that's less than. Because pastor is a function, not an identity. I'm a son of God before I'm a pastor, and that's way better. And I will never be enslaved to an identity that's less than the one that God's given me. If we take on this work identity, then all of a sudden, when we do well, it goes to our head. And when we don't do well, it goes to our heart and we walk in shame. And the enemy wants to enslave you to an identity of enmeshment in your work where you can't separate what work is and what life is and who you are and what your work is. This all happened in the garden when God created man. He created Adam and he gave him work. And then he gave him a lady. This is for all the fathers in the house. Make sure the young man has a job before you give up your daughter. Because God gave the job before he gave the lady. Amen. That's good right there. I don't know if there's any dads, moms in the house. They're like, that's good news right there. And so Adam was in the garden, and he was working, and he was happy, and he was joining, and he was walking in the voice of God, and then he became disobedient because he started trying to find his identity in something other than God himself. The ground was cursed, and the curse was that we would work and toil to the sweat of our brow. They have these two children named Cain and Abel. And Cain was this man who was a tiller of the ground. And he starts working and working. And his gift to God is never accepted. And he becomes resentful and jealous and angry and kills his brother. And I wonder today if we are working from an identity or for an identity. Like if you work at a fast food restaurant or if you're a lawyer, does your identity change? Are you a son of God the same, royal the same, no matter the position you are in life? God did not enslave us with a work identity. You are not called to work for respect. You are called to work from the respect that God has already given you. You are not called to work for love. You're called to work from the love that God has already given you. God doesn't put carrots in front of his children and make us reach. He puts a carrot patch inside of us and lets us praise because we are sons and daughters of God. That's good news right here, I'm working from acceptance, not for acceptance. I'm working from his pleasure, not for his pleasure. Number three, have a good attitude about work. Maybe you don't need a new job. Maybe you need a new attitude. That was good. That was so good. I'll say over for this side right here and online. Maybe you don't need a new job. Maybe you need a new attitude about the job you already have. Ephesians 6, 7 says this, Serve wholeheartedly 
as if you were serving the Lord, not people. You don't work for people, you work for God. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. What kind of attitude do you have toward the work that God's given you? Some of us think our job is about our paycheck. And we get really disgruntled because they don't pay us enough. But how much are you worth? 24 an hour? 34? 40? 50? Like, are you for sale? Like, you're working for money and you have a price on you? Everywhere you work, you should tell people, you can't afford me, but I'm willing to serve this place. There's no number. I'm a king's kid. You cannot afford me. You will never be able to afford me. But I'm going to serve this place. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to give my whole heart. Leave a tip if you want to. When, when, when God gives me a promotion, you're going to call me back and offer me double, and it's still not enough because I'm worth more than you can afford. My attitude is not a transaction in work. I have an assignment in what I'm doing. And so if you don't have a job right now, it doesn't mean you, you shouldn't work. You should get up and mow the neighbor's lawn if you have to. Not for money because you're called to serve and have an assignment. And you're like, I love to work. Let me cut your grass today. Let me get to the church early. Y'all need this place clean. What's going on? Let me do so somebody do something. Have a good attitude. Have, have an excellence about you that when you walk into a place, the place gets better. Do you contribute to the toxic culture you're in or do you change the toxic culture that you're in? Are you a person that has a spirit of excellence and you're like, I'm going to be into the details. I'm going to make this place better. They pay me minimum wage. Pay me whatever you want. But I'm going to give you a billion dollar service right now. Excellence is like, I'm into the details. Like, I'm going to make this better. Like, it doesn't matter if I work at Motel 6, I'm going to act like I'm at Ritz-Carlton. Ritz-Carlton, they got those fancy lights. Motel 6, they'll leave the light on for you. Ritz-Carlton, they make swans out of toilet paper. Did someone snort? Who is that? <laughs> amazing. Motel 6, they might not have toilet paper. Ritz-Carlton, they leave a little chocolate on your pillow. Motel 6, leave a little smeared chocolate on your pillow. When I go to Mo Motel 6, should hire me right now. When I go there, it's going to feel like the Ritz-Carlton. It's going to have the, it's, we're going to make a duck at least for the toilet paper. <laughs> the scripture said, and some of us are sitting around waiting. You know what? I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for the right job. Pay right. right now I'm getting unemployment, so I don't need to work right now. Um, if I get a job, I'm just waiting on God. You ain't waiting on God. You ain't waiting on God. You are not waiting on God. You're waiting for your unemployment to run out so you can be super stressed and go try to find a job. That's what you're waiting for. The Bible says, Ecclesiastes 11:4. 4, farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. 
if they watch every cloud, they never harvest. You know what that means? Get to work. Don't wait for perfect jobs. Don't wait for perfect conditions. Be who you're supposed to be. Walk with the attitude of Christ and serve who you're supposed to serve. Love who you're supposed to love. Ecclesiastes 10.20. I love this one. Don't badmouth your leaders, not even under your breath. And don't abuse your betters, even in your privacy of your home. Loose talk has a way of getting picked up and spread around like little birds that drop crumbs of gossip far and wide. Don't talk bad about your boss. In fact, talk to God about your boss so they come and get saved. And if you're a, if you're a business owner, treat your employees right. Be a, don't just be a, bat, a, a boss, be a pastor. Be a shepherd to them. Come on, let a boss in this house say amen. Where my lady boss is at, amen. Don't be talking about it about leaders because one day you might be the leader and people will talk bad about you and you'll realize why your leader was crazy because your leader was crazy because he was dealing with a bunch of crazy people. And then all of a sudden people will be talking about you and you're like, oh, they don't know what it is to be a leader because they didn't serve the leader that they were under at that time appropriately. Have a good attitude about your work. Number four, work is a growth opportunity. Matthew 5, 40 through 44. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn them away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard what is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What if work was actually the possibility of your capacity growing? Uh, when I was younger, I used to be so proud of myself because I would go in the pool and I would hold my breath and I would hold it for like 10 seconds. And I thought that was a lot. But once I did that enough, I could hold it for 20 seconds. And then I could hold it for 30 seconds. And all of a sudden, 10 seconds wasn't as hard as 30 seconds because my capacity grew because I learned to hold my breath differently. And what if, what if what's hard today is actually going to be easy tomorrow because God's growing your capacity in you through difficult, struggling situations? And if you say, God, I'm going to choose to take personal responsibility and I'm going to respond to your grace and I'm going to grow in this season like never before. Because I believe that God gives us the gift of relationship, the gifts of jobs and better jobs, to put us in a position that will reveal his grace to us in ways that we can never imagine. If you have one kid, you'll learn grace at a one kid level. If you have two kids, you'll learn a two kid grace. If you have five kids, you'll learn a five kid grace. And those kids... When they get to be teenagers, you'll learn a teenage grace. And those kids end up having, getting older and having kids or having kids while they're younger, and you'll learn another kind of grace. Every struggled relationship and difficult relationship is God showing us a, a bit of his nature and teaching us to grow in, in grace in ways that we never could imagine. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, the Bible says, Today, I am who I am because of God's grace, and I have made sure that the grace he offered me has not been wasted. I've worked harder, longer, and smarter than the rest, but I realize it's not me. It's God's grace with me that has made all the difference. The thing you want to run from, have you considered 
that God's actually trying to show you his grace in new ways. I can't deal with that person. I can't stand that person. What about that person makes you so insecure that you can't be in the same room with them? No, I'm not insecure. I just can't stand their face. I'm praying for them that God will flatten their tires on the way to work. But that's not insecurity. That's just me being offended. What is in you that has failed to see the grace of God to let you be a son and daughter and to pray for those who are persecuting you in your workplace? Come on, anyone in the medical industry, I know it's filled with politics too. But who of you while they're persecuting you and playing politics, I know some of you that go to church and there's politics in the church. Who of you, I know some of you are in the government and there's literally politics in the government. Who of you are praying for those who are praying on you? I just made that up right now. That was good. The pray, pray. Who are you praying for that's praying on you? Who are you praying for that wants your job? Who are you praying for that's trying to take you out? You know what? You need to let them know. Come on. As soon as God promotes you, you can have my spot. It is a growth opportunity to see God's grace. That's why Paul said, I have these thorns in my flesh. But the thorns in his flesh in Greek are actually tent stakes. So he was actually a tent maker. So he said, the thorns in my flesh, I want to parallel them to my physical work and my spiritual reality. What is happening in the physical that God wants to do in the spiritual? And why is the physical realm such a struggle? Because God wants to give you a re revelation in the spirit of dominion and territory that he wants you to take in this next season. Oh, I thought I'd get one more amen than that, Josh. You got to defeat in the spirit before you try to defeat in the flesh. Number five, enjoy the fruit of your labor. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Genesis 131, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. I love God as he created, he worked. At the end of the day, he's like, that's good. Did a good job. When's the last time you stopped and be like, good job? When's the last time you turned to your spouse and was like, hey, that was crazy with the kids. We didn't know what we were doing. We never raised one of those. <laughs> good job. Not perfect, but good. When's the last time you acknowledged the fruit of your labor and let the fruit of your labor nourish you? Are you always running to the next thing, always sprinting to the next thing? Got to get this next contract. Got to get this next. Got to keep my pipeline full. Got to reach. Got to keep it. Got to go. Never acknowledging the goodness that God has done through you this past week. So maybe today is a day for you to praise God that he actually used you to accomplish some things in his creation this week. 
And so you acknowledge the fruit of your labor. That's what Ecclesiastes 5.18 says. We should make the most of what God gives, both the bounty and the capacity to enjoy it, accepting what's given and delighting in the work. It's God's gift. God deals out joy in the present and the now. The fruit of your labor, enjoying the fruit of your labor, instead of rushing to the next thing. Everything you do is sacred when it's unto God. You know what uh, a Christian pilot is called to do? You know what a Christian pilot is called to do? There's, there's this thing that happens in churches where we come to church, and it's such a sacred place that we start getting involved, and we're like, how do we work for the church? I want to work for the church. You're like, you want to you be broke for the rest of your life? That's really what you want to do? <laughs> because we think the sacred thing happens here, and the non-sacred things happen out there, but everything you do is sacred. The Christian pilot, this is your job, it's so spiritual and powerful, land the plane safely. Don't pretend to crash it so you can save the whole cabin and make them say the sinner's prayer. Just land the plane safely. Hey, when you change those dirty diapers, change them as unto God. It's as sacred as me preaching today. Doing dishes as sacred as us singing today. Whatever you do is wholly set apart and sacred when you do it as unto the Lord. And it becomes the fruit of your labor and God says, hey, take a bite and enjoy the goodness that I manifested through you this week. Number six, I'll close with this. Work is worship. Work is worship. Matthew 6, 25 through 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour in your life, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, he will not much more clothe you. You of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be given unto you. In one way, use your reason to respect humanity. But in another way, the animals are kind of getting it a little bit more right than we are because we're using our reason to outreason God. And it's as simple as trusting God as your provider. See, faith is not just what you say. Faith shows up where you work or the lack thereof. I hate my boss is you proclaiming the faith you don't have that God can save your boss. I hate my job is you proclaiming the faith that you have that God didn't provide you a job. Worry is worship in the opposite direction. God says, why are you guys worried 
about what you're going to eat. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed out begging for bread. If you're begging for something, it's because you don't have the revelation of the righteousness that you have in Christ Jesus. But we are sons and daughters, so we don't beg. We just walk and trust and depend on God. I've never seen those who stand in the righteousness of God begging for something because we don't beg because everything we need now and for the future we already possess in Christ. And our work is worship and we're acknowledging what the hands of God has accomplished. The scripture says in Psalms 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late and to eat bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. You know what faith is? Faith is going to bed without worry. Because you believe that God loves you. Because if you believe God loves you, you go to sleep. You know how you can worship God tonight? 8 o'clock, 8.30. Where are you at? Come on, get excited about it. You lay your head down and say, all the cares of tomorrow, they'll be tomorrow. And all the cares of today, I give to you. To your beloved, you give sleep. So I'm not going to stay up and try to fix my life, fix my marriage, fix my job, fix my boss, or fix myself. I'm going to sleep. And God has a way of creating beautiful things when I'm sleeping. I depend on his love, and it's the way I worship him when I trust him. And serve. The scripture said in Daniel 4.34. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, after eating with the ox grass, lifted my eyes to heaven. And my understanding returned to me. And I bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? King Nebuchadnezzar tried to build his life on himself, for himself, and by himself. And he became in the mundane routine of life, eating like oxen, working like an animal. Day in, day out, repeat the same thing, stuck in the routine of life. If some of you, if you had a hitman, you'd be easy to find. You do the same thing every day. Every day. And there was no joy in all the oxen. There's no sense of joy. And that's, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to put you in places that attacks your internal peace. And suck the joy out of your life by getting you to overcomplicate your life and overcontemplate your life. But tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and just to take him at his word. Nebuchadnezzar eating, going through his trials. And I love this part because the Bible says, And I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up, and my reasoning returned to me. Can I encourage you today? Those of you who are kind of down in an area of your life and your head's kind of hung low, you're kind of going through the routines and motions and feeding off of things you should be leading. Can I encourage you today 
Lift your head, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? Strong and mighty, Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head. Lift up your head. And when he begins to look to the one who has dominion, the one who from generation to generation has been faithful, and to the one and life, the pressures of life, the weights of life begin to be released off of him and his sanity becomes back. You know what's heavy is trying to be your own savior. You burn the toast and you want to be your own savior. You forget your car keys and you want to save your soul. You don't put your clothes in the hamper and you want to be your savior. But there's one who has dominion and authority and reign over our life. And we respond to his grace by saying, God, you, this is reasonable. This is logical. This is respectable, God, that I'm just like the animals and beasts of the field until I acknowledge that you are my Lord. You are my Savior. You guide my days. You govern me with grace. You hold me through every season of my life. Some of your anxiety is so wrapped around your workspace. I remember being so anxious about money and finance and work. And in fact, a, a big driver for my life was the insecurity of our lack of money in our childhood. And it created this wound that I had to make it happen. And if I don't make it happen, no one's going to make it happen for me. And I inflicted myself with keeping the pipeline full and keep going and don't get behind and get forward. And at the end of the day, I was losing my mind. I didn't know if I was coming or going. Now, how an old friend who sat with me, he's like, hey, I, I made a, a CD. Uh, Y'all know what that is? A CD is a little round thing. <laughs> he said, I want you to listen to it. Don't, don't, don't be driving, though, because uh, you might fall asleep and get a wreck. So listen to it at home. And so I listened to it, found a CD player. And uh, it was scripture that said, let the peace of God rule in your heart. And it was on repeat. He just over and over, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. And I went back to him. I was like, hey, love the CD. Great line. Like we should add some lyrics to it. Probably should have threw a beat on there, but it's good stuff. He's like, the moment you believe that the peace of God is the ruler of your heart, everything in your life changes. I want to tell you today, let the peace of God rule your heart, your inner man. Don't look to your outward accomplishments. Don't look to your successes or what you need to achieve or what you need to do. Don't start there. There's some things you're going to do. You're going to make some money. You're going to do some great things. You're going to build a great family. Don't start there. Start with let the peace of God rule in your heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray over each and every individual that is here today who is struggling with anxiety, worry, over the area of finance or provision, over the area of culture in their, in their work environment, over the lack of a job or can't find one, just lost one, over the stress and anxieties of work and the pressure to perform, over the feeling of how am I going to get out of this, how am I going to make it ahead, and how am I surviving off of this paycheck and such an expensive place, and all of these things, God, today we surrender to you because we know the most important thing is that 
this internal work you're doing in us. And we acknowledge the peace of God that rules in our heart. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you're like, I have a lot of anxiety around my work or around money or around provision, uh, I'm not going to make you come to the front, but can I acknowledge you? Would you just wave your hand at me real quick? Would you mind doing me a favor? I'm not going to bring you up, but would you stand to your feet? Oh, God. You know what? I felt God give me a good download right now. The enemy wants to condemn that you're not bringing enough. You know, the enemy, he lies to you. This, and this is, this is a trick of the enemy. Hey, you can't take your kids there? Hey, you guys can't go out to eat today? And then you go into spending money you don't have to try to please a family just to show them you love them. You know what? Your family needs more than your money. They need you. And maybe if you make less money, just take them to the park and take the job that doesn't give you as much money and spend more time with your children, spend more time with your family. I want to tell, I want to speak that because I feel like the enemy is just condemning people's heart of like, man, it, I'm inadequate. I'm not providing the way. You're not the provider. You're not the provider. He's the provider. And, and God wants to bless you, but God needs to bless you on a blessed mindset. If God blesses you on a different mindset, doors are going to open that you don't have the capacity to handle. You don't have the character to walk through. Some of you desire a relationship right now. You ain't ready for relationship. You crazy. You crazy. You, you will have to go to Heart Rev Church 50% off of your counseling if you get in a relationship right now. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you have ever struggled financially? Just wave your hand. You ain't alone. You ain't alone. You ain't alone. How many of you have so much money you just want to pay off the church right now? Where are you at? We're alone. We are alone. <laughs> we are alone. Father, in Jesus' name, for everyone that has stood today, where's the next check coming? What's, what's this fixed income? How, how can I make more than this fixed income? God, what occupation do you want me to be in? How do I handle this coworker or boss? How do I get out of this? situation that makes me feel choked how do i how do i live in my calling when i feel so suppressed in the place that i'm at i speak to you the word of god's life let the peace of god rule in your heart let the peace of god rule in your heart let this mind which is in christ jesus be also in you Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. The priceless peace of God, the freedom of God to walk as a son and daughter. Husband and wife, don't fight over money. Fight, over, fight for one another. Don't fight with one another over money. Wife and husband, be supportive of each other. If she makes more, more money than you, don't be an egotistical maniac. Celebrate your sugar mama. <laughs> you
you guys are a team. Win together. Win together. And if you make more money than the other partner, don't use it against them. I'm the breadwinner. No, you're not. And everything could change real quick, Nebuchadnezzar. This is about dependence on God and a life built on a foundation that is stronger than you and that will stand throughout eternity. So, Jesus, we thank you for everyone that's standing right now. We repent if we've complained against things that have actually been growing us. God, we know that there are open doors, and we will not live with a victim mentality. We will not live in defeat. We will live as sons and daughters, and we receive humbly this next season. We receive humbly this next season. We know that you're clear to give direction in the timing that you need to give it. We know that you are a provider, and we know that you give seed to the sower. We know, God, that you clothe, that you feed, that you restore, that you heal. And so as we work, as we make every effort to live in this life, may the grace of God flow mightily through your mind, heart, and family.